This is a conspiracy. That's what this is. One big damn conspiracy! And everyone's in on it! I know what's going on. Did IQs just drop sharply while I was away? person is smart. People are dumb, panicky, dangerous animals, and you know it. Did you see the memo about this? Just when I think you couldn't possibly be any dumber, you go and do something like this. Don't you see what this means? Welcome to episode 13 of your Missing the Point podcast, where we discuss the weird, the wonderful, and the downright bizarre aspects of life, as we have conversations with people from all over the world. Today I'm joined by no guest. That's right, just me today. I thought you guys deserved some more content, something a little bit extra to get you through between those interviews. I've been toying with the idea of discussing some of the research I've been doing recently. I've been doing a lot around Australian cryptids and mysteries in particular. Now, these won't be as long as my normal episodes, but I think you'll get a real kick out of these. They've been an absolute blast to research, and I hope you guys get as much fun out listening to it as I have done researching it. So where do we begin? The Tasmanian tiger? The Yowie? Quinkins? Bunyips, perhaps? How about the Tasmanian blob mysteries? Haha, <laughs> there we go. That's a good one. This is something that's very near and dear to my heart. One of the most memorable creature discoveries of my lifetime. This is an event that has lived in my memory for as long as I can remember. Seared in there even. So let's get stuck into it, shall we? There I was, 10 years old, laying down the carpet in front of the television, waiting for The Simpsons to come on. As suddenly, a bizarre mysterious creature is presented to me by primetime television. I can vividly remember the words of the news presenter. An unknown sea monster has washed up upon Tasmania's west coast. I was so fixated on this oddity, this unknown mysterious creature. I found myself staring at the screen as the media broadcast aerial shots of a gelatinous blob-like creature covered with strange long straw-like hairs. In the short weeks that followed, I can remember reporters mentioning in passing that scientists remained baffled by its identity. That's where my memory kind of fizzles out. Ever since I've found myself travelling down that particular memory, going back and back again and again, visualising this creature in my mind, always wondering, what happened to it? Where did it come from? Where did it go? Did they ever find out what this thing was? This is what prompted this episode, and I hope you guys really enjoy what I found. So like I said, I'd speculate about its origins, where it came from and where it could be. After all, it was James Gardner that said, we know more about the surface of the moon than they do about the ocean floor. Even to this day, only 5% of the ocean has been explored by humans, with the rest, especially the depths, being unknown. This leaves us with an impossible number of possibilities, speculation and theories to consider. In many ways, it's not space that's a new frontier, rather our own oceans. 
Hey, who would have thought that Sequest got it right for once? So what was this creature? Was it ever identified? Was its true nature determined? Well, come with me as I research the mystery and the speculation about Tasmania's very own blob. In my research, not only did I find what happened to this creature that is so vividly seared into my memory, but there were in fact two more such creatures found on Tasmania's coast in previous decades. That's right, three. And I thought it was just the one amazing creature. Our story, we need to go back in time. Go back, travel back to August of 1960 to the Tasmanian West Coast. It's been a particularly drizzly and foggy winter, not uncommon for Tasmania, as the skies remained obscured by grey clouds and intermittent rainfall. This is where our story begins, where it all takes place. The world's edge, as it's known to many locals, as the sea west of Tasmania is the longest uninterrupted expanse of ocean on the globe. This discovery occurred by chance when two young drovers, now those are cattlemen or ranchers for my American listeners, ran barefoot down the beach for a swim after a hard day's work. When suddenly, and caught off guard, one of the young men stood directly on the unknown creature below. The young man grimaced in reaction to the squelching jelly-like wet mess below his foot. He stopped dead in his tracks and called over for his mate, ushering to see the discovery below his very feet. On closer inspection, now he could tell he had come across a carcass of some unknown sea creature. It's on this remote stretch of the Tasmanian beach that a creature of immense size washed up. A beast eyeless, covered in tough like white fur and equipped with tusks like sensors protruding from what appeared to be a necklace head. The two men baffled by the discovery tried to overcome the sewer-like stench and the mystery behind this large unknown creature. Where did it come from? What was it? It was like something they'd never seen before. This breathtaking breathtakingly large creature appeared to go on and on, even when partially covered by the sand. It was the first discovery of a blob-like creature that would spark international interest and investigation. However, our two young drovers never reported it to the authorities. Sure, a few friends and tourists trickled down to see it over the next few weeks to grab a glimpse and a photo. But over time, the people of the local area lost interest until 1962, when a local newspaper picked up the story. This prompted the Commonwealth Scientific and Industrial Research Organisation, commonly known as the CSIRO, to study the carcass. With two years passing between the discovery of the creature and its study, there had been considerable level of decomposition. However, scientists were able to report the following details about this beast. It measured 20 foot or 6.1 metres, by 18 foot, 5.5 metres, and was estimated to weigh anywhere between 5 and 10 tonnes. The mass lacked eyes in the place of a mouth. It had soft, tusk-like protuberances. It had a spine, six soft, fleshy arms, and stiff white bristles covering its body. The exact identity of the creature remained a mystery. Some scientists speculated that it may be the remains of a giant squid or a clump of whale blubber. This creature conformed to no known species 
and for some scientific experts at the time seemed to promise a new era of scientific research exploration. Some scientists even proposing that this sea creature may have originated from the sunless depths of the ocean floor, perhaps dying and being caught in the rough currents of the depths and being brought and cast upon the beach for the two young men to find. A journalist at the time coined the name Sea Santa for its large size and white hairs. Internationally, it became known as a globster, as named by the British biologist Ivan T. Sanderson, a man who would become acclaimed for his work in cryptozoology later on in life. All right, now let's take a quick break and have a listen to a news report from 1962. This is a really amazing thing. It's something that always baffles me about the Australian accent. It's changed so much over time. And it's just something that really baffles me that our accent has changed so dramatically that it's almost like we've dumbed down our accent. You're going to love it, guys. So here we go. Inland agencies and their planes on the spot, but they couldn't land, and only Bill Mollison knew the exact location of the monster. Journey's end, and the hunt of the sea monster rises above the sand. This was hard work from our sea plane, which kept a watchful eye on the lobby. A long arrow drawn on the beach points to the monster's resting place. And Vern Reed is told that petrol awaits him at the heart of the mouth of the From the air, you can get some idea of the immensity of the depth of the beach and its endless length. Bringing back specimens was quite a job. The top and height of the monster would only yield to the axe. Seabirds had worried the carcass, making little or no effect on it. When cut, the flesh gave off a pungent odor, similar to ammonia or an overripe cheese. The monster caused so much interest that CSIRO officers were later flown in by helicopter. They brought out specimens and after tests announced they were of the opinion that the monster was whale blubber, but in some quarters, the controversy still exists. The monster is of the opinion that there's been a great Molecular change in the monster during the two years it's been lying on the beach. An unusual feature was hair on the hide. So there we have it. That's just a little audio clip from a news report in 1962, which is absolutely fascinating that we still have this available on the internet, which is great. But did you see what I meant about the Australian accent? I sound completely different to those guys back in the day. They sound so British. It's actually quite crazy. Anyway, I'll drop that link into the show notes so you can see it for yourself. A great molecular change gave way to hair-like protuberances over its body. Doesn't quite fit well with me, but let's continue our research and let's keep going. So that was 1962, the first beast we've ever seen. And now we have to fast forward to 1970 and the appearance of a second blob carcass, which washed up upon the West Coast yet again. Now, this particular story is a bit shady and lacks a lot of depth and information. And it seems to be even harder to track down confirmed sources. This was by far the hardest thing I could find in this whole research. However, interestingly enough, one of the young drovers from the previous finding was responsible for locating this second globster. This time around, the carcass measured 8 foot or 2.4 metres long. Pictures taken of this carcass 
have supposedly disappeared, never to be found again. Ah, very interesting, isn't it? I wonder what's happened to those little nuggets. Now, could this have just been an attempt by the young man to gain further notoriety within his community? We simply don't know. With no official investigation undertaken with this one and limited coverage, this second beast carcass becomes more and more mysterious. No CSIRO investigation and barely any coverage. It's a hard one to swallow. It may not have even happened, but worth mentioning. For many years, marine experts continued to argue over the true identity of the first sea monster until gradually and slowly the memories faded and the beast left the minds of the people. But then it happened again. In January of 1998, a third white-furred monster, uncannily like the first one, washed ashore on the very same stretch of coastline, kick-starting a mystery and controversy all over again, this time for a brand new generation. Now, 38 years later, a new blob would make international headlines. This time around, a photojournalist named Ricky Eaves came across the beast when he was on his way to go surfing. Much like the first discovery, a putrid smell gave way to the discovery of the rotting carcass. Following the stench, Ricky discovered a remarkable creature of immense size and covered in white fur, and most certainly it was dead. Like the smell would give that away, right? Ricky never heard of the first blob from the 1960s, and he was completely unaware that his discovery was only a few kilometres away from the original blob's resting place. The remains of this sea creature were almost identical to that of the one photographed by the CSIRO 38 years prior. Unlike the 1970s blob, this carcass was thoroughly investigated by the authorities and media alike. The CSIRO's fisheries biologist, Barry Bruce, is quoted as saying, we have another big smelly monster from the deep. It's a mystery. Once again, scientists argued over the identity of this creature, many not ruling out a new species to science. This new monster was not as massive as the earlier predecessor, measuring five metres long, two metres wide, an estimated of being a weight between two to five tonnes, so much smaller than our regional blob. Once photographs of the carcass were published, a local fisherman came forward stating he had seen the creature floating several kilometres offshore just before Christmas. He went on to say he passed it off as a capsized boat and didn't give it much mind. Once again, the slinging match of insults and arguments between prominent scientists continued. After carefully studying the photographs, Tim Kingston, curator of zoology at the Queen Victoria Museum in Launceston, said, I've never seen anything like it. From the evidence available to him, he proposed that it was either a large uncommon squid or a slab of blubber from a dead whale. He was, however, at pains to add that nothing scientifically had been established, the lack of proof and evidence being the problem. To gain greater insight, scientists would need to move the creature further to study it. With limited budgets and anxiety at an all-time high, that's just what they set out to do. Parks and wildlife biologists said, the primary goal is to dig the carcass out of the sand drift. It has no head and no tail. It will take a lot of time and effort to identify something like this. However, this is when the authorities moved in. Within a week, the CSIRO had swooped in, running a range of genetic tests by the Hobart Laboratories. The findings that came out conclusively established that the carcass was the remains of a dead whale. Nothing more, 
than a clump of blubber, something the scientific community had argued over for 38 years, had now been put to rest. But what were the tufts of hair and the protuberant tusks? What was the reasoning behind these appendages? Well, according to Barry Bruce, the marine biologist, these were simply dried out and sunburnt sinews of the now dead whale. A mystery that had confronted the Australian psyche for nearly 40 years was over. A beast that baffled the world's prominent scientists and reporters alike was ended by a simple DNA test and a shovel. Even though this was less fantastical than I'd hoped for for this story, I'm still astonished by the possibilities and mysteries of our ocean depths. After all, it was only in 1952 that a living celiacanth was discovered, a 300 million-year-old living fossil amongst us in our oceans. What else could be hidden in our vast blue oceans of our planet? The question still is worth asking. So next time you go fishing or swimming out in the ocean, Ask yourself something. As you peer down to the depths below, what could be looking back at you? Well, there we have it, guys. My very first ever solo show. Wasn't as long as I'd hoped it'd be, but if you manage to sit through it, you're hearing my voice again. Please let me know what you think of this. Don't forget to like and subscribe to my content so I can reach more listeners out there. If you have any suggestions for the show, please feel free to email me at drewmisson88 at gmail.com. Hit me up on Instagram under missingthepoint. And I really hope you enjoyed this as much as I liked making it. Once again, this is something that I had always wondered about and finally got to the bottom of. And I look forward to making more of these little short snippets for you about Aussie cryptids in the future. Thanks again, guys. See you next time. Hey everybody, it's closing time. You don't gotta go home, but you can't stay here.